want to talk to you today about um, knowing God. How many of you feel like that is your highest pursuit in life? How many of you feel like that is the reason why you exist? How many of you feel like everything else is far secondary? Knowing God is the central issue. Uh, I remember reading A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I want to look at knowing God. So I have five points for you today. There's five different scriptures we're going to turn to. The first one is in John chapter 17. Many of you know these things, and that's why I asked for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see the things we already know. Remember Jason Upton wrote a song, and in it he said, he said, open my eyes to see what's right in front of me. Oftentimes, we become so familiar with the fundamentals that we begin to lag in them. Sometimes we begin to become so familiar with what is so simply understood that we move on past it and look for something else. But I'm telling you how you destroy the works of the devil in your life is mastering the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals? Very simple. The gospel. Holding on to the gospel. Through the gospel, entering into fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus that looks into the scriptures and receives the word and obeys the word and loves other people and preaches Christ in the world. These are the fundamentals. Very simple. When I worked for Reinhard Bunke, he used to say to me all the time, Eric, never leave the ABCs. Stay with A, B, C. This is where the power lies in the ABCs. He used to tell us often that when he would go into a region, he never addressed any devils. He preached Christ, and they all came out. <laughs> he said he would come into a region. He had in his mind one thing to do. If I can place Jesus where he's supposed to be, everything else will be arranged where it's supposed to be. He, he would often remind us, especially those that were involved in crusade evangelism, that it is, it is literally the power of the gospel that exercises God's dominion in the earth. You preach the gospel and signs and wonders follow. You don't even have to worry about or focus on signs and wonders. They just happen when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. It just works because he just works. And his nature causes a not only the devil to, be, to melt in your midst, but also causes your heart, your hard heart to melt in the midst. So John 17, three, you guys have read this. The scripture says here, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you see what Jesus just said? This is what eternal life is, knowing God. You know, sometimes we think, you know, how can eternal life be knowing God? They seem like two totally different things. Eternal life, meaning life that never ends, and knowing God. That's almost like saying you'll live forever married to your wife. It's like you know your, it's a, how do they go together? If you realize that eternal life is far more than a life that never ends, it is the life that God himself 
it is the Zoe life, the actual never beginning, never ending life that God himself is. He shares with you. In other words, you receive his spirit and that divine never beginning, never ending life enters into you and it begins the day you believe on Jesus Christ. That eternal life, that quality of existence that God himself is, he shares with you and that is through the knowing, intimate, actual, relational connection with God. So you could say it like this, when you meet the Lord and enter into a exchange reality with God, that is the reception of and presence of God's own life in your life. I remember reading Witness Lee and he said, God became man that he might dispense himself into men. And it is in the enjoyment of fellowship that we experience the riches of the divine life. And that's what I want to point out here. Knowing God is the essence of what you are. What you were born into is knowing God. It's not even, being delivered from sin is such a, a secondary part of all of this. It's just, that just happens. Going into knowing God is so much higher. It's like, you, you think about the reason why men sin is because they don't know God. So when men know God, they stop sinning. <laughs> Leonard Ravenhill used to say, praying men stop sinning and sinning men stop praying. <laughs> In other words, when you start connecting with God and coming to know God, all these other things just fall off, as A.W. Tozer wrote brilliantly, when Christ takes his proper place, a million problems are solved at once. This fellowship with God is what Jesus came to give to us, eternal Life. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have, possess, right now, eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, delivered from not knowing God. Praise God. And when Paul talks about sexual immorality, he speaks directly of not knowing God. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? In other words, this passion-led life is evidence that you know not the greatest passion there is, Jesus Christ. There's an old Russian proverb that goes, God is not trying to stop you from experiencing pleasure. He wants you to know the highest pleasure, which is he himself. I, I pulled a quote from Tim Keller. I don't know if you know who that is, but outstanding teacher. He writes, prayer is entering into the happiness of God himself. Praise God. And Andrew Murray writes this. I pulled this one as the center of what we want to talk about. No man can expect to make any progress in a holy life who is not often enjoying his God. He says holiness is more than absence from sin. It's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. It's enjoying God. This is eternal life that you would know God. And just so you know, the, 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 the practical way to come to know a person is you first initially meet them and you don't know everything about the person in your initial meeting. But you begin to grow in a knowing of that person when the moment you meet them. And, and so it is with God. You meet God in the gospel. 
And then as you continually stare into the gospel, you begin to realize the gospel characteristics of God continually in your life, and you come to know, to know, to know, to know, and grow in the knowledge of God. Is that not true? So this first point that I have for you was that this is the purpose of the gospel, that you might know God. Praise God. But number two, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to this. The Bible says, this is Paul writing, God is faithful. Aren't you so glad that God has that charm about him, that characteristic, that wonderful, uh, lovely uh, nature that he is faithful? How many of you notice the faithfulness of God in your life? It is the faithfulness of God that has kept you. If God was not faithful, nobody in this room would be serving the Lord. His faithfulness has kept you. You have not been faithful to God as God has been faithful to you. I remember in Bible college, I used to go to McDonald's because I didn't have any money. And we, I would pull up to the, to the drive-thru and there was this, this guy there. I don't, to this day, I don't know if he's a man or an angel. <laughs> he was so filled with joy. He would come out of the window at, <laughs> at McDonald's when I'd go to pay and he would look around outside and he'd go, hey brother, do you see the birds in the sky? I say, yeah. He goes, they don't worry about what they're going to eat. Then he says, do you see the grass over there in the field? I look over. Yeah, yeah, I do. He goes, they don't worry about what they're going to wear. The Heavenly Father clothes them. Praise God. He'd be so full of joy and so happy all the time. And, and one day I looked at him and said, bro, you're amazing, man. Every time I come here, you're just full of joy. You're a happiness. You spread happiness to me. And then he looks at me and he goes, ah, he's the faithful one in the relationship. I say that to say, we love God's faithfulness. We trust in God's faithfulness. When we find revelations of God's faithfulness, it causes worship and praise in our lives. But look at what this faithfulness is connected to right here. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So part of God's wonderful characteristic of being faithful to you is that that invitation to come to know him and fellowship with him is right there in front of you all the time. You say, Eric, I failed. God's faithful. You're called into fellowship with his son. Eric, I'm, I'm having a difficulty. Things are difficult. I, 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 affliction has come. Trial is coming. People betrayed me. God is faithful. And he has a faithful invitation, an unchanging invitation for you to enter into fellowship with him. And guess what? This just kind of takes the weights off your shoulders. It never says you've been faithful. Therefore, you're called into fellowship with his son. In other words, it's not based upon you. It's based upon God's faithfulness. Aren't you so glad that is the case? I can't tell you how many times in my Christian life I felt unfaithful to God. But yet, because he's faithful, he met with me in my weakness and carried me back into strength. How many times has God done this to me? How many times has God had to revive my dead heart? How often has God had to take my affections that were growing dim and blow a little flame upon them? How often have we needed God to restore things that we feel like are, we're losing, like connection to your calling or maybe love for the word. You feel like you're reading the word and you're just like, man, this is, I just feel dim. 
But when you come to Jesus and Jesus just takes you in and he grabs you and he breathes life fresh upon you and he makes you alive again. One person said it like this, revival is the reviver in our midst. It's just him, him here, alive, together with you. Vance Havner said, revival is people falling in love with Jesus all over again. And God is faithful and he has called you into fellowship with his son. You know, I, I go around everywhere. I'm an itinerant minister. So I live by going from church to church and encouraging the churches, strengthening the churches, as Paul would say in the book of Acts. And I hear a lot of people asking questions like, what's my calling? What's my calling? I need to know what my calling is. Well, the scripture just tells you very clearly what your calling is. You are called into fellowship with his son. So you can just end the suspense on what your calling is. You're called to fellowship with Jesus. You say, Eric, but I understand that. But am I supposed to get married or not get married? Your calling is to fellowship with Jesus. I understand, Eric, but I need an answer to the question I have. No, no, no. You need to fellowship with the son because in fellowshipping with the son, more than telling you what to do, he'll make you what you need to be. <laughs> and this is how he is. He's far more interested in making you into something than getting you to do something. Is that not true? So in the same way, if your calling is to fellowship with his son, then in fellowship with the son, you'll find he's a wonderful counselor. <laughs> And he guides you into exactly what God, what he desires for you. And you begin to see that you delight to do his will. It's almost like if you just live in fellowship with God, these bubbles of joy will begin to rise up and you just follow the bubbles of joy. <laughs> and you do exactly what you just love so much. And the reality is it may be contrary to what you love in your natural person, but in fellowship with God, you have more attentive to the new person, and there's these new desires on the inside. You follow these bubbles of joy, and you walk in delighting in God. Praise God. And, and this whole thing can just be you saying no to your selfish ambition, your own self-centeredness, your management of your own life, and then enter into the joy of selflessness and the joy and happiness of fellowship with God and the quickening of his spirit and the laying out of his purposes in front of your life. You say, Eric, what's my calling? It is to fellowship with God. So I want to talk to you about knowing God. That's the first point. And this knowing God is what Jesus has opened for you. It's based upon God's faithfulness. And on top of this, we have the wonderful reality that this is the reason why you've been made is to fellowship with God. The word fellowship in and of itself is a uh, interchange, interaction. It's both sides. It's a union of communion. It's, uh, it's a, a you hear him, he hears you. You experience him, he experiences you. You can't take experience out of fellowship any more than I can reduce my marriage to a photo. If I say, hey, here's my wife. You want to meet my wife? And I show you a photo of her. You may see facts about her, but you don't know her. And a lot of people treat their Christian life like they just now have facts about God. And now they can show you a picture of what God is, is like, but there's no interactive experience that brings them into real knowing of the Lord. It's interactive experience with God that changes information into revelation and transformation. You, you got to touch him. You got to taste him. 
There has to be a reality of God. Otherwise, we just signed on the dotted line of something we now say we believe. And we're just like every other religion. But the reality is, is this. Knowing God means we experience him. See, people set themselves against the experience of God when they're more loyal to their idea of God than the person of God. But it's, if it's the person of God that is salvation, if it's the person of God that is deliverance and life, and then it is, in, it is wrapped up in knowing him, experience of him, that we find everything that we need. And here we see that this is the first, um, the first calling of man to fellowship with God. You know, there's an illustration of a, a button-down shirt. No matter how tightly you button all the other buttons, if you miss the first button, they're all off. And in this way, this is your first calling. This is the first button. Get this one right. And all the others will follow suit. But if you miss the first one, no matter how well you do everything else, no matter how well you cast out devils, no matter how many sick people you see healed, no matter how much money you give to the poor, no matter how good of a person you are to other people around you, no matter how well you follow the commandments of the Bible, all of those things will be all off if you don't get fellowship with God right. Fellowship with God is the first button on the shirt. There's a, a quote here I pulled from Wesley Duell. He writes, the greatest privilege that God can give to you is that you have freedom to always approach him. Man, that is it. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at this verse. I love this one. It's, it's verse 2 of the second letter of Peter, the first chapter. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. In the knowledge of God. So what are you seeing right there? Grace and peace find a multi, not an addition, a multiplication in your life by this interactive exchange with God. Because knowledge of God, knowing God is an experiential knowledge. As you experience God in fellowship with him, Grace is multiplied in your life and peace is multiplied in your life. Let me just explain grace for those that don't understand grace. Okay, grace is unmerited favor, a favor that's been given to you that you didn't earn. Jesus earned it for you. Therefore, you've been given grace based upon the work of another. That's one aspect of grace. But there's another side of the coin of grace. Paul says it like this. He says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. That's not saying unmerited favor worked in me. He's saying something else. There is a divine empowerment that grace gives. It's defined perfectly in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, he works, he works in you both to will and to do. He works in you both to will and to do. That means the desire to do what's right comes from God. The ability to carry out that desire comes from God. That's called grace. I remember I preached at this church in Arkansas, and this old man comes up to me, probably in his 90s, and he says, son, you did such a great job today. I said, oh, thank you, sir. Then he goes, when I was your age, I, I loved to read the word, and I was joyful about Jesus, and I loved to pray and worship in his presence, and I had such a desire to preach him, just like you, son. And I said, oh, yeah, awesome, sir. And then he goes, and it's still like that to this day. I said, oh, that's amazing. Then he says, you know what that is, son? I, I said, what? He goes, grace. Then he goes, son, you're nothing special. He says, grace is special. 
And I love that he said that because it is the grace of God that works in us. No one, no one's special. Grace is special, praise God. That God would grant to worms like us divine power to love him and want him. That is an attribute of God that deserves worship and honor. Praise God. I love this. So you see grace and peace, that grace, that ability to desire him, that longing to obey him, the power to obey him, the, the longing for, for, for him. It all is the grace of God working in you and it's multiplied in your experience with him. You'll notice that if you, if you neglect fellowship with God, you'll find that grace begins to wane in your life. Lack of desire for the Lord, lack of want, wanting to obey him, lack of power to obey him. All of these things begin to happen. I remember reading in Madame Guyon's biography, she wrote in her journal, she says, I've neglected fellowship with God and I was pillaged all day long. <laughs> what she's saying is she neglected God in the morning, she felt the effects of it all day long. Lack of joy, lack of peace, lack of fulfillment. I was just reading Adolf Safir the other day, and he was saying that neglect of God is the reason why most people don't have the realities of what the Bible promises. If you neglect God, it's difficult to claim all the things that God is in your life. If we will find, if we will find the treasures in this book, it must come through fellowship with the Spirit. As Kathy Walters perfectly stated, she said, God sent the Holy Spirit to get it out of the book and into my life. Praise God. You know, it's often like a little boy looking at candy behind a, a glass at the outside of a, of a candy shop. And he stares at the candy and he says, oh, the Snickers, it's right there. There's a Twix, there's a Baby Ruth. And you're staring at it, he wants some. And then the owner of the store comes out and then he goes, hey, son, you want some of the candy? And the boy says, yeah, yeah, and take whatever you want. And the boy looks at him and he goes, I can't. He says, well, why not? He goes, there's a thick pane of glass between me and these wonderful things that I want. The illustration is most Christians are staring in the Bible about peace that passes the ability to be understood, joy unspeakable, full of glory, and they're salivating one of those things, but there's a thick pane of glass between them and the apprehension of the things promised and granted to them. What is that glass that separates them? It is neglect of fellowship with God. You neglect fellowship with God, and, and it's literally choosing not to receive God as God. I remember reading C.S. Lewis said, I believe in the, the, the sun, not just because I see it, but by it I see. And so it is with fellowship with God. We, we don't just look to the Lord, but in looking to the Lord, we see everything else. By him, in seeing him, we're able to see correctly. And so this, the second point that I have for you is, is summed up in an illustration from the old Puritans. They would say that fellowship with God is the string upon which are placed all the pearls of God's graces. And if that string break, all the graces be scattered. The string is fellowship with God. And on that string are placed all the wonderful things that God is to you. But if God be neglected, if God be, uh, I mean, even turning your back on the Lord, it breaks that string. And that string causes all those wonderful things God wants to be for you to, to, to be scattered. And now turn over to 1 John chapter 1. Let me point at this one. Again, I, what did we pray at the beginning here? We prayed that God would open our eyes to believe and to see the things we already know. So I'm praying for that this morning. While you turn there, let me 
read you a, a quote from Clement of Alexandria. He says, prayer is this, keeping blissful company with God. <laughs> Praise God. St. John Vianney said, prayer is, is springtime in the soul. Praise God. <laughs> There's a story of, of a man who would go to the church every day and sit silently all by himself in the sanctuary. And the pastor would walk through and he'd see him sitting there. And he'd go, you know, pass on. And the next day he passes through and he sees the man sitting there again all day long or most of the day. Then he'd come back again. And he sees me because, you know, what? tomorrow I'm going to ask this old man, what is he doing just sitting there with a smile on his face? <laughs> so he goes to him at one, one of the days he sees him there and he goes, sir, I see you in here day in and day out and you're just sitting here quietly. What are you doing in the seat? And the man looks at the pastor and then he goes, well, I look at him and he looks at me and we are happy. <laughs> He's enjoying the sweetness of God's presence. Just looking at you, you looking at me, the divine connection of attentiveness and love and affection. So the first point was that knowing God is the purpose of your life. Two, the button, the first button is fellowship with God, your first purpose. And three, the string is that which holds all the graces God wants to give to you, all the multiplication of peace and joy in your life. And then the fourth point here is in 1 John 1. It says here, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What is just being said here? It is Jesus Christ experienced by John. How many of you know John knew and walked with and touched Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying. I knew him personally, interactively. And then he goes on here and he says this. He says, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He's saying, I walked with Jesus who came down out of heaven and into the world. He was made manifested in this world and I knew him. I touched him, I saw him, I heard his voice. The vibrations of his vocal box went into my physical ears. It rattled my eardrums. I heard the voice of the living God in the flesh. That's what he's saying. And then he says here, he says, which was with the Father, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we proclaim to you, we proclaim these things so that, in other words, I'm telling you this for this purpose, so that is two powerful words. It means intent. It, mean, it means this is the purpose. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so that your joy may be complete. What's he saying? He's saying, I touched Jesus Christ. I heard Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you the gospel so that through the gospel, you too can enter into an interactive relationship with Jesus Christ. And your joy will be made full in Jesus Christ. So you say, what's the point? The point is this. If I knelt down before my wife, before she's my wife, and I say, I want her to marry me, and I grab my ring, you know, and I say, will you marry me? And she looks down, and she sees a ring and prongs and no stone. <laughs> she would probably say, there's something wrong with your ring. Something happened to the ring. Because the purpose of the whole band and the prongs is to hold the central stone. It's the whole purpose of every part of the ring. And so it is with Christianity. You may have a great 
band and good prongs, great prongs, but if you miss fellowship, there's no central stone. You may have everything right in your Christian life, a gold band and perfectly strong prongs. You neglect fellowship with God, the ring never glistens and glows. It's fellowship with God that is the central stone. I come to remind you of what you already know and to put heavy emphasis on the fact that you are made to experience God and live by that experience. Experiencing God is not a lottery. Experiencing God is the Christian life. Experiencing God is not an option. It's non-negotiable. It's central. It is essential. It is everything. You miss this. Christ doesn't get the thing that he wants the most. It's fellowship with God. So then finally, it brings you to this, que this, this question. How do I do that? There's a quote from Charles Spurgeon I, I read the other day, and when I read it, I literally put the book down, and I said, dear God in heaven, where did that man come from? <laughs> Have you ever read something? A.W. Tozer used to say, I read until I hear God, then I put the book down and listen to God. So I, I was just reading Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, prayer, listen closely to this, this is powerful. Prayer is to feel one's body made the temple of the Holy Ghost. Think about all that that means. Prayer is to feel your body made the temple of the Holy Ghost. God dwells in me. I'm aware of that. That's the essence of prayer. This is why you can pray without ceasing. Because it's not about words. It's so much higher than words. It's heart exchange. Madame Guyon used to say that prayer is the application of the heart to God and the inward exercise of love. Prayer is to feel one's body made the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's conscious union with God. By faith in the gospel, conscious union. I used to, I, when I first started working for Bunky, I was probably 20 years old. And I was, a, I was, I was extremely religious. When I came out of Brownsville, I slipped into asceticism. You guys know what that is? Asceticism would be like harsh treatment of your body in order to gain spiritual power. I slipped into this heavily. Like I never ate. I never talked to people. I locked away like a monk. And I was trying to apprehend something. My, my goal was to try to uh, enter into some type of a spiritual elite place where I could literally be godlike and levitate. That was my goal. I was trying to use Jesus in fellowship with God to enter into a godlike status on the earth. I wanted to glow. That was, my, that was my goal. And so because of this, everything was about how much I could pray and fast. That's how I, that's how I lived my life. So I say to Bunky, I'm praying, man, I'm praying six, eight hours a day. Even working, I would take my, uh, I would get up super early. Uh, I, never, I never was eating. And so I said to Pastor Bunky in the car, I said, I bet I pray more than Pastor Bunky. So I said, Pastor Bunky, um, remember, I'm super arrogant, okay? You know, Charles Spurgeon said, some men fast from food and gorge on pride. That was me. <laughs> so I, I said to Bunky, I said, hey, Pastor Bunky, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question? Said, sure. I said, um, how much do you pray a day? And then he says, <laughs> he answers me, but he doesn't answer my question. He answers my problem. 
And he says this, he says, I do not pray to get close to God. I pray because I am close to God. Now, when I heard that, I immediately thought, this guy is super arrogant. (laughs) But what I realized was he was trying to give me a key. The key is believe the gospel. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And see, in the way that I was going about things, I was trying to pay for something more than what Jesus paid for. I don't want anything Jesus Christ did not pay for. So I slipped into this, and this was wrong. This is, this is an error of my life. This does not mean that all fasting is wrong. Absolutely not. That doesn't mean that there isn't God calling people. That, you know, I know you guys are on a fast. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not shooting fasting down. I'm showing you my arrogance to show you that God used Pastor Bunky to break down arrogance in my life by placing faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done and entering into blissful fellowship with him. So finally, let's say you're, you're here and you're saying, okay, I understand God calls me to know him. Two, the first button on that shirt is communion and fellowship with God. Three, if grace is gonna increase in my life, it's gonna be on that string of fellowship with God. Four, I can have all the things right in my life, but without fellowship, it never glistens and glows. There's no diamond central stone. Maybe say that, and then you say, okay, how do I do it? I'm gonna show you really, really practically how I personally experience God. Very simple. Just like going to eat a meal. Let's say my, I come out from, often on Tuesday nights, I come out from my mentoring group. Simple plug here. I mentor my partners every Tuesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> we go, I come out from mentoring, uh, and there's always dinner for me, waiting for me. So I, I come out, and I sit down. with the, There's a prepared meal. That's what Jesus Christ has done. He has prepared everything for you. And I come, and I sit down. This is rest. And then from that place of rest, I begin to use the utensils to cut the food, get the food ready to be able to put it in my mouth. That's reading the scriptures. Then as I put the food in my mouth, I begin to chew the food. That's meditation, meditating upon the word. And then as I got that food where it needs to be broken down, ready, I begin to pray those things that God has shown me. That's swallowing the food. Then at that point, I'm probably gonna need a drink of water. So I grab my water and then I drink. And that's worship. And this happens interchangeably, sometimes drinking first, sometimes swallowing and then cutting, cutting cutting while swallowing. This whole thing is happening in receiving this meal to have full satisfaction in my tummy. And so it is with fellowship with God. You come in and you rest in the gospel. I rest in the gospel. I'm fully accepted by God. And there, resting, right there, you begin to take the scriptures and you read them. And that's getting the meal prepared and getting it up to your mouth. Then as you read something, you pass from reading to meditation. You think that thing through. You don't just read it and then move on. You read in order that you might meditate upon that thing. So you can suck every nectar out of that food. And then once you get that broken down by meditation, you pray. You pray that thing out. And as you're praying that thing out, you assimilate it. It comes into you, becomes one with you. And then often, maybe even in between, you're just drinking worship the entire time. I worship you, Lord. I worship you. So very simple. This is a real simple way 
of understanding what communion with God looks like. It's an imagery that you practice all the time. You're gonna practice it probably not today, tomorrow maybe. <laughs> when do you guys break your fast? Tomorrow. You'll practice tomorrow. But, um, but this is the reality of, of what it looks like, very simply, to fellowship with God and come to know him and enjoy him in his presence. Does this make sense to you? Praise God. Well, let me give you one final quote to to kind of sum up the whole thing. I love quotes. I pull them all the time. Oswald Chambers says this, this is the meaning of fellowship, that we might enjoy our God, the enjoyment of God. So let's do this. Let's just, everybody just put your hand on your heart, and let's just, we're, we're all here wanting God to do a work in our lives, correct? That's why we're here. So let's just open our hearts up and ask the Lord together, myself included, for just a fresh understanding of these things and a conviction about them, okay? So with your hand on your heart, let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I recognize my need. I'm asking you for help. I ask for grace to work in me, both to will and do. For your good pleasure, I'm asking you, help me to realize that you have called me to know you through fellowship and through this fellowship to receive your graces, your empowerment. And God, I pray that you would open my eyes to realize that no matter how good everything is, if I lack fellowship, there is no central stone of my life. And I'm asking you, draw me to the table of the Lord to eat with you, to drink with you, that I might know you and enjoy you in your precious name. Amen. Amen.